neglect somebody. Who can tell me? Um, Luke the physician wrote two books in the Bible. What are they? All right, I got three of you. I got four of you. All right, Danny, let me give me the give me the word. All right, come on up. I, I got a Panera card for you, dude. You, you're the winner. Uh, there are others who who raised their hand, probably knew. So, uh, Luke the physician wrote two uh, books of the Bible: the uh, Gospel of Luke and uh, the emphasis of the Gospel of Luke was to uh, record how the Holy Spirit had descended upon Jesus at his baptism and empowered his entire life and ministry as he lived that life in, as a spirit-filled individual. All right? So remember that when Jesus came into the world that he set his God card aside, took on the form of humanity and lived as a human who was spirit-empowered and spirit-led and spirit-guided. So when we come to the book of Acts, it's really a continuation of where he left off in his gospel, only now the Holy Spirit has descended upon the people of Christ, the followers of Jesus, so that they too can in turn uh, live out a spirit-filled life and a ministry as Christ lives his life through them. So as we come to the book of Acts, and we're at the very end of the book, we've, we've traveled a long way uh, as we've journeyed, but what we have noted is that here was a group of people, uh, about 120 in the upper room as it started out, awaiting in Jerusalem for the Holy Spirit to come upon them. And certainly the Spirit of God did come and rest upon them with tongues of fire. And as a result of that, God began using these individuals to change the world. So my question is, what is it about them that enabled God to so mightily use them? I mean, when you think about it, um, we can ask the thing, well, was it their influence? Well, these weren't real influential people. This wasn't a list of the who's who's of their day. I mean, you had people that were converted prostitutes and cheating tax collectors and just ordinary people. So certainly they did not bring to the table a great deal of influence over the lives of uh, other people uh, in Jerusalem and beyond as the gospel continued to spread from Jerusalem to Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. Well, maybe it was their education. Well, no, not really. Uh, even the disciples themselves, the early apostles, had very little education. Um, they didn't make it to the rabbinical schools. They were not, you know, graduates of seminary. But yet, um, Man, when they had their run-in with the Sanhedrin, they were like taken back about who are these unschooled individuals, but they could not deny the fact that they had been with Jesus, and they were certainly uh, very powerful individuals as they were having an influence and impact upon the lives of people. Well, what about their resources? Well, they didn't really have many resources, and what little they did have on the front end, remember, in Jerusalem, uh, they gave a lot of it away. They were giving it away so that those who are coming to faith in Christ and remaining in Jerusalem from other areas and regions uh, of the world uh, would have a, a means by which they could stay there for an extended period of time. And so what is it that they had that God so mightily used them? Because I think we see the same traits that they had lived out in the Apostle Paul. see some things that just under the last two chapters of the book of Acts we're going to see some things that just did not change all throughout the book of Acts that were the reason why, the cause behind 
God using them in such a powerful and dramatic way. First of all, we know that they were all in, all right? They were all in. It wasn't like, hey, we're going to dabble in Christianity, uh, or we're going to dabble in, you know, sharing the gospel with other people. They were like Navy SEALs on an assignment, and even if it cost them their lives, they were all in. They were going to do what Jesus asked them to do, right? So what did Jesus ask them to do? He said, go into all the world and make disciples, right? Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Teaching them to deserve all that I've commanded you. Five times Jesus gave the Great Commission in five different ways. And he was saying in essence, listen, I'm sending you out. Do not go out without the power of the Holy Spirit. This is a supernatural act of God and work of God. You can't do not, cannot do this in your own human strength and ability. But I will give you everything you need in order to accomplish the mission that I've set out in front of you. And so they said, okay, Jesus, We've got the Holy Spirit, we're all in, we're going after it, and they just never let up. You couldn't shut them up, you, couldn't, you could beat them, you could threaten them with prison, throw them in prison, and when they get out, what, what, did, what did they do in Acts chapter 4? They just prayed for greater boldness. They didn't pray, God, keep us out of prison, God, protect us from harm. They just said, Lord, give us greater boldness, man. We consider, we, we consider it a privilege to suffer for the cause of Christ. Number two, they astonished the Roman culture in their day and time. It, were the, it was the Christians who were going into and caring for the sick among the Roman citizens and caring for their unwanted children and giving to the poor. In fact, they were so generous that the Roman emperors, I mean, they, would, they just kind of stepped back and scoffed at the fact that the Christians were treating their citizens better than they were and it infuriated some of them, and so they lashed out against Christianity. Third, they were living spirit-filled lives, and that's really what this whole series has been about is how do we live spirit-filled lives in order to accomplish the mission that Christ has set out in front of us, which means that we are yielded to the Holy Spirit. We are controlled by the Holy Spirit. We, we are depending and expecting and surrendering to the Holy Spirit. It was Jesus who said to us, pray in the Lord's Prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And since Jesus is the head of the body, and as the body, we are dependent upon the direction of the head. And so the, the head of the body, Jesus, filters down to the body of Christ, his will and his desire that he wants done here on earth and stay in step with the Spirit. We are being governed and directed by our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, to accomplish his will here on earth. And number four, they were sold out to the gospel. Why were they sold out to the gospel? Because it is the power of God unto salvation. And as we've said over and over again, the word salvation in the Greek is sozo. Jesus used it in three different ways, the same word. It is the power to, to save, to heal, and to deliver. All right, so the same three things that Jesus did in his earthly ministry as he brought salvation to the table, as he healed people physically and emotionally and spiritually in other ways, and as he delivered people from a demonic presence, he handed those gift, that giftedness down to his disciples, to the church, who exercised that all throughout the book of Acts, and certainly that has not ceased to exist in our day and time. God wants to do the same thing in our day and time. In fact, he is doing it, and we see him do it, and you're going to get some testimonies next week of how God has delivered some people in some very powerful and miraculous ways. So uh, I want to take those four scenarios and kind of 
just kind of spell out, these are the four things that must never change in our church. Regardless of what God calls us to do or how he guides and directs our church, these are four things that must never change if we're going to accomplish God's will here on earth as it is in heaven. Number one is we must keep our lives fully surrendered to the Holy Spirit, fully surrendered to the Holy Spirit. And so we come to Acts chapter 27, uh, and the reason why this is true is because the supernatural work of God requires the power of the Spirit to accomplish it. And as, as you are yielded to the Spirit, so flows His power. There is a difference between being indwelt by the Spirit and walking in the fullness of the Spirit. And so Paul points this out in his own writings. Ephesians chapter 5, right? He says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And it's in a present imperative tense, which means it is an ongoing thing, that we, there, there are sequential fillings that need to take place. And so to walk in the fullness of the Spirit is what enables us to live out the fruit of the Spirit, right? So Paul says there is a war inside of you. There is the war between the things of the Spirit and the things of the flesh. And depending upon who I'm yielding my life to, that will result in either fleshly living or as Paul called it, carnal living for the believer or spirit-filled, spirit-led living. And so God, is in order to accomplish his will and purpose, we have to remain yielded to the fullness of the spirit. So as he's coming to the end, remember, he has appealed to Caesar. Uh, he is on his way to Rome. And these last two chapters is really his journey to Rome as he is going to stand trial once again. And so it says in chapter 27, verse 1, When it was decided that we would sail for Italy, Paul and some other prisoners were handed over to a centurion named Julius who belonged to the imperial regiment. We boarded a ship in uh, Adramidum about to sail for the ports along the coast of the province of Asia, and we put out to sea, and Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica, uh, was with us. And so the rest of these verses, I'm not going to read all of them because for sake of time, it's really just the travel log of Paul and those who are on uh, this ship that is heading towards Rome. Now, they set out for sail during a time of the year that was really dangerous to sail uh, because the seas were um, usually stirred up. It's just like if, how many of you cruise? Have you ever been on a cruise? Well, there are certain times of the year that are a little more dangerous to cruise than other times of the years because, uh, you know, you, you get in late fall, you have the um, possibility of hurricanes stirring up on the ocean, stirs up the ocean, and, you know, the, the ships get in the big waves and so on and so forth. Well, here, here it is with Paul, and they are, he's the, on ship, he's with prisoners, and uh, these prisoners that Paul uh, boarded ship with, they're already condemned uh, to die. So they're probably being sent to Rome to be gladiators. But I, I really want to focus on, let's look down in verse 9. Much time has been lost and sailing had already become dangerous because by now it was after the fast. And that, that refers to the Day of Atonement, uh, Yom Kippur. And so Paul warned them, men. I can see that our voyage is going to be disastrous and bring great loss to ship and cargo and to uh, our own lives also. But the centurion, instead of listening to what Paul said, followed the advice of the pilot um, and of the owner of the ship. And since the harbor was unsuitable to winter in, the majority decided that we should go on hoping to reach 
Phoenix and winter there. And this was a harbor in Crete facing both southwest and uh, northwest. And so uh, here's what I want to anchor on for a moment. Verse 10. Where did Paul get his information? Is Paul just simply speaking out of intuition? Is Paul just kind of like making this up and saying, hey, guys, you know, the seas are really rough. Uh, I, I, I perceive that we should not go any further. Or does Paul have a, a word from God? I, I, I submit to you that God said, Jesus said uh, to Paul that you are going to Rome. And so Paul knew that he had a word from God that he would eventually make it to Rome. And we'll see this again. In fact, it's going to be repeated even by an angel itself here a little later on. So Paul has a word from God. And I believe that what Paul received here is a word of knowledge from God. Remember that Paul demonstrated, again, what it means to live in step with the Holy Spirit. That all throughout his career in taking the gospel to the Gentiles, the Holy Spirit has been guiding him. Sometimes the Holy Spirit say, go over here. Sometimes over here. Don't go there. Stop here. Move over here. Well, how did Paul know what the Holy Spirit was saying? Because the same Spirit of God uh, that speaks to Peter, the same Spirit of God that spoke to Paul, is the same Spirit of God that speaks to us. God does still speak to his people today through the person of the Holy Spirit. You might say, well, I've never heard the Holy Spirit say anything to me. I've never heard him speak to me at all. Well, let me tell you, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, the only reason you are a follower of Jesus Christ is because the Holy Spirit spoke to you and brought you under conviction and drew you into that relationship with Jesus Christ because Jesus said, unless the Spirit of God draws you, you would have never come. So you have heard from the Holy Spirit. You may not have recognized his voice, but certainly you have, ha have heard from it. In fact, all throughout the book of Acts, the Spirit is in the, on the move, and he is speaking and guiding and directing in the hearts and lives of people. And sometimes the Spirit of God downloads into us a word about what it is he wants to do. Why? Because, again, as Jesus says, he wants God's will in heaven to be done on earth as it is in heaven. So how is God going to get his will done on earth? Well, he's going he's gonna to state, this is what my will is. This is, remember, uh, Paul doesn't have a New Testament in front of him. He doesn't have the Word of God. He has the Spirit of God, and so the Spirit of God obviously has given Paul word that there is going to be a disaster that's going to take place as they're making this journey to uh, Rome, but uh, you know what? They're going to make it. Why? Because God said he was going to make it. You know, in Acts chapter 1, Jesus says, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And so all throughout the book of Acts, we've seen that power displayed in many, many different ways. What does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? What does it mean to walk in the fullness of the Spirit? Because that's why Paul heard, that's why Paul knew what the Spirit was saying. Listen, one of the advantages that God has given to you is that he has drawn up into intimacy with you as a father-child relationship. God in no way wants this relationship to be one-sided, but it is a relationship which means there is communication that goes back and forth. And just as God communicates, we communicate with him, he desires to communicate with us. And so being filled means to be overcome by a power that is greater than your own. 
And so think of it in terms like this. If you get up in the middle of the night and it's kind of dark and you're trying to make your way to the bathroom and you stub your toe on something, there is a pain that shoots through your body unlike anything else, right? And you probably have to bite your tongue or you say a few things uh, that you probably normally would not say, but in the heat of the moment, at that moment in time, your body literally, it starts from your foot and just works its way up your body. There, there is just, your body is overcome with this excruciating pain. And so <laughs> you, it's an agonizing moment and you're just no longer a person, a husband, a wife. You are throbbing because you are filled with pain. And at that moment, that's all you know, Right? And so the same thing is true with joy. You've ever had your heart, your life filled with joy? I remember the first, uh, you know, my first daughter, when she was born, just overcame me, her in my arms. My heart, there was nothing but joy that filled my heart and just overcame me. Same thing with my second daughter, with my grandchildren. You know, it, we understand, right, to be filled, to be completely, totally, thoroughly captured and captivated by the Spirit of God means that there is a power that is within you that is going to be greater than your own. And so filling, filling means, in essence, control. Who's controlling your life? Who's directing your life? Who is guiding your life? Who is calling the shots in your life? And as long as you stay yielded to the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God wants to help direct you and move you and guide you. But if I, in turn, have this relationship with God where I say to God, well, you know, Lord, uh, I, I understand what you've told me in your word, and I understand that maybe sometimes you have a special, unique word for me, but uh, just give me the word, and I will decide whether or not I am going to do it. Now I'm no longer in a position of yieldedness. I am in a position of control. Throughout the scripture, God moves and directs and have his, has his being through those who are fully yielded to him. Yielded to the Spirit. And so Paul is yielding to the Spirit. He's allowing God to pull the strings and not him to be manipulating anything. And so the purpose of the Holy Spirit's filling is to control our lives. Because you have an enemy who wants to control your life. So the question is only, who's going to be in control? The evil one, you or God? Your Heavenly Father. And so there is a yieldedness that takes place. So every single day, you need to begin your life with saying, you know what, Lord, I don't know what this day has to hold for me. I don't know what all you want to accomplish through me, but I just want to start out my day by knowing, letting you know that I am yielded to your spirit. I'm open to your Holy Spirit's direction and guidance and voice. And God, I want you to know if he speaks, if he guides, he nudges, he directs, I am going to obey without question. I guarantee you, you pray that kind of prayer on a daily basis and you will hear the Spirit of God. Are you going to hear him audibly? Probably not. He sounds a lot like your voice. But you know when he's feeling, when he's nudging, when he's moving, when he's directing, there are two things that will hinder that in your life. Number one is grieving the Holy Spirit, right? Ephesians chapter 4, Paul talks about this. Grieving the Holy Spirit means I refuse to do what the Holy Spirit has instructed me to do. So when I pick up my Bible and I see what God's asking me to do, and I say, okay, God, I know what you're saying. I'm not doing it. Grieving the Spirit. Why does God give us commands? Why does God give benefit? God set up guardrails in our lives for our protection, for our benefit. 
so that we can get the most out of life with the least amount of wear and tear because life is hard as it is, right? And so things don't always go our way. Things don't always turn out the way we want them to. And so when we say things like, uh, you know what, God, uh, I, you know, the Spirit may prompt me. Okay, so when I was at my conference last week, uh, there was a, a family there, and uh, they were Midianites. And it was a uh, husband and wife. They have five children. <laughs> and they were just like stair-stepped. And this conference was like from Tuesday to Friday, and it ran from 9.30 in the morning till 10 o'clock at night. So there were 16 sessions, and you got a break, uh, a short break for lunch and an hour and a half break for dinner. This family brought all five of their kids. Well, I say they brought four of their kids. They left one daughter at home. One was an infant, uh, probably four or five months old, and then the, the boys just stair-stepped up. And so uh, here they are in this conference, and uh, they were sitting right in front of my wife and I, and, uh, you know, they were trying, you know, the, they had things for the kids to do, but you know how kids are. Uh, they've got a, a um, attention span of a nanosecond, so, you know, they're trying to help them, you know, stay entertained and so on and so forth. So uh, after one of the sessions, there was a break. I went into the, the room next door was their, their book, their, you know, it's kind of like the, their, where they sold all their merchandise, books and um, video things and all, all kinds of merchandise. And I saw that family going in there, and I overheard one of the children, you know, picked up a book and said, Dad, I'd, I'd really like, I'd really like to have that book. And he says, you know, son, we can't. I'm sorry, it costs money, so on and so forth. So I'm, I'm just kind of shopping around, and all of a sudden, the Spirit of God prompted me, just like, I mean, it, it's like stubbing your toe. Like, my, my internal being was like, you need to help them. You need to bless them. So I thought, yeah, okay, well, uh, all right. So I just kept shopping. And then, you know, like the Spirit's like, no, 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 no. You, don't, you didn't hear what I said. I want you to bless that family. And uh, so, okay, I don't know these people, but I'll, I'll find out about them. And so I did. I walked over and I introduced myself to the husband and said, hey, my name's Greg. I know you don't know me. You're sitting in front of us in the conference. I know you've had your whole family here. Uh, you know, wh wh what do you do for a living? And, and what really what brought you to this conference? And so this young man is self-employed and he makes uh, farm equipment, um, you know, for Mennonites, for Amish farmers, because, you know, this is, this is falling on really hard. There's a lot of Amish people there. Uh, in that area, and so he, his business has fallen on really hard times, and one of the speakers that was at the conference, uh, he heard him the year before, and just, God just really touched his heart, and, and um, so he was, you know, he was back, because the same speaker, speaker was there uh, speaking again, and so we, we talked a minute, and I said, you know what, um, I don't want to offend you in any way, but God just spoke to my heart, I want to bless your family, so I want you, you, your wife, and your children to get anything you want, it's on me. And so, um, yeah, so the kids, you know, they come over and, and mom and dad, you know, they said, hey, you know, you, you can get whatever you want. This man's, the, the one little boy goes, but it costs money. This guy's paying for it. And so I, I don't share that to, to brag on myself. I share that because God's spirit does still speak if you're remaining yielded to his voice. And when you obey... It's amazing. It, it just lit this family up, and these kids, you know, got stuff, and, and 
you know, they, they, you know, through the rest of that day, that's the last time I saw them at the conference, but for the rest of that day, they, they stayed entertained and, and did their thing. And so if I would have said, you know, to the Holy Spirit, I ain't doing it. I'm not, I, I don't know how much that's going to cost me. I have no idea what the bill's going to be. Um, yeah, that's grieving the Spirit. And then there's, there's quenching the Spirit. Quenching the Spirit, grieving the Spirit is when you do... You're doing things that God doesn't want you to do. Quenching the Spirit is, is just as serious as, as not doing the things that the Spirit wants you to do. So, I, you know, I, I could have quenched the Spirit and said, you know, I'm just not going to do what you want me to do. And so those are the two things that hinder our walking in the fullness. And we've talked about this on a message called The Filling of the Holy Spirit uh, way back way in, in, the, in this series. You can go online and check that out. I think it was like number seven in the in this series, uh, the seventh one. But um, listen... Um, how, do we, how do we build this, this um, sensitivity to the voice of the Spirit? Here's how you build it. Intimacy with your heavenly Father. That's how you build it. Intimacy with your heavenly Father. God saved us to have intimacy with us. And so the, one of the ways that we draw up into that intimacy is just spending time with him, right? So again, communication is a two-way street. And so uh, the Father speaks to us, we speak. Sometimes he speaks through his word. You know, God just lifts something off the page of scripture and you just know it's, it's God's word for you for that day. And sometimes, you know, it's the nudging of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes God uses somebody else to give you a word of encouragement. And, you know, somebody just... Uh, send you a text or maybe a letter or uh, what, however they communicate with you, and you just know that God is speaking to you through them. And so uh, we want to walk in the fullness of the Spirit. So how am I filled with the Spirit? Well, it's very simple, is that you, you want to confess your, your known sin. Listen, if, if you're grieving and quenching the Holy Spirit, you, you're not going to walk in the fullness of the Spirit. So, right, you, you deal with those sin issues in your life. You already know that God is faithful and righteous to forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Why? Because of the precious blood of Jesus that we sang about this morning, that fountain that is filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and every sinner plunged beneath its flood loses all their guilty stain, right? So you your guilty stain has all been washed away through the blood of Jesus, past, present, and future. And so you just deal with those areas of your life that you're refusing to yield to the Holy Spirit. You confess all known sin, and you just pray and ask to be filled and believe, believe that God is doing that. It's not like, a, you know, I pray and ask God to fill me with the Spirit, on a, and I necessarily feel something. You say, well, what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? I thought I got all the Holy Spirit I was going to get when I got saved. You did. It, don't think of it in terms of, you know, this bottle of water it is partially empty and like the fullness of the Spirit means that God's just going to pour more of the Holy Spirit in me. It's not about more, you getting more of the Holy Spirit. It's about the Holy Spirit getting more of you. Your yieldedness over to him, think of it in terms of a balloon. That is where you can blow air and it can expand. There are times when God wants to use you in a very powerful way. And so you can call it the filling of the Spirit. You can call it the impartation of the Spirit. But if God is going to endow you with the power of the Holy Spirit that is beyond your human natural capability. If you read the, the biographies of Billy Graham, uh, all the greats, John Wesley, um, 
all the great guys uh, all throughout church history where God just seemed to, to rest on them. And when they preached, I mean, it, it's like thousands come. Why, every one of them will talk about a time in which God just imparted his spirit upon them uh, in a moment in time in which God just uh, them with the spirit and filled them with a filling that just brought a supernatural um, manifestation of the spirit through their lives. Every one of them. And so God wants the same thing for us. Why? Because he's called us to a supernatural ministry. And we cannot do this in, in the natural. So walking in the fullness of the Spirit is going to result in some things. Uh, some people ask me, all the time, well, how do I know if I'm walking in the fullness of the Spirit? How do I know that's happening? Well, here's number one is the comforting ministry of the Holy Spirit. John 14, 16, the Spirit is active to comfort us. The disciples were you know, upset that Jesus was leaving. And he says, listen, you don't have to be upset. Don't have to worry about this. I'm sending you a comforter. All right, And so a lot of times we as Christians, just as the early believers, man, without the Holy Spirit, they would have been filled with so much fear and anxiety and worry, they could have never accomplished what God called them to accomplish, right? No way. When you have somebody's threatening you and they're threatening to flog you and put you in prison and do all kinds of harm to you, you, you would never stand up against that in your own natural human strength. But when you walk in the fullness of the Spirit, the Spirit enables you to do things you could not do on your own. And then there's the cautioning ministry of the Holy Spirit in Acts 16, 7. Uh, I believe big things and little things that the Spirit of God cautions us, right? Watch out for that. Don't go there. Avoid this person. Be careful. You, you really shouldn't be over the... What? Right, So the Spirit is trying to caution us about areas of our lives that we're opening up and becoming vulnerable to the evil one who is trying to, in all of his power and, and all of his limited majesty, is trying to shut down everything that God is doing in us and through us. And we've got to take that very seriously. Because again, as we've studied the book of Acts, every time the gospel began pushing forward, the, Satan would push back. There is always pushback when the gospel is moving forward. And if you're not prepared for that and you're not you know, uh, equipped for that, then you're not going to be able to withstand up against it. And then there's confidence. Man, we're to walk by faith and not by sight. And so I just believe the Spirit of God gives us confidence because we're able to trust God in areas that maybe we would not be able to trust on our own. Uh, there have been many times in my life in which, you know, God's called me to do something, and it's like, man, in my own strength, I would have never had the confidence to step out and do that. But when, you, when you're asking, you're yielding yourself to the Spirit, and you're saying, God, you know, it's a blank check. Here I am. You fill it in. I, I'm, I'm ready to obey. And as you step out in obedience, it's amazing how the Spirit of God can give you confidence beyond your own limitations. Number two, the second thing, not only must we keep our lives fully surrendered to the Holy Spirit, but we must listen to the voice of God. We must listen to the voice of God. And so um, we, we kind of pick this up down in verse um, 22 of chapter 27. Um, so, well, verse 21, after the men, you know, they're, they're in this, um, again, they're, they're, they're trying to the ship is being driven along by the winds, and they're fighting it. And after the men had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and said, Men, you should have taken my advice not to sail to Crete. Then you would have spared yourselves this damage and loss. But now I urge you to keep your courage, because 
Not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Last night, an angel of God whose I am, uh, angel of, of, the, of the God whose I am and whom I serve, stood beside me and said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar, and God has graciously given you the lives of all who will sail with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. <laughs> I love that phrase. It will happen just as God told me. In other words, I've listened to the voice of God, the message that was delivered to me, and God said it, and that settled it. I'm going to Rome. This ship may fall apart. A lot of things may happen, but I'm guaranteeing you, I'm not going to die. You're not going to die. We're going to all going to make it through this thing safely, even though the ship itself is going to be destroyed. How in the world does Paul have that kind of faith? It's because, I mean, think about what Paul could have done. He could have looked at the wind and, and how the ship was like being rocked all over the place. They're starting to unload everything they can, kind of like when Jonah uh, was on a ship and, you know, the big storm came and they're unloading the cargo. Well, the same thing is going on here. Paul could have looked at all that and, and got all the guys up on the deck and said, hey, guys, uh, you know what? We're done. We're sunk. This, this is it. Say your goodbyes. Or he could have looked at the wrong people. You know, the sailors were out of control. Uh, what do you think everyone on the boat's saying? We're, we're going to die. You know, if, if you're on a boat with uh, well-weathered sailors in that day and time, and they're scared, and, and they're panicking, you got reason to be scared and to panic also, right? But Paul wasn't looking at them. He's not focusing on the winds. He's not even focusing on his own feelings. Paul is strong in his faith, and there's something inside of him that's tugging him in a different direction. And what it is that caused Paul to set aside his own personal fears and anxiety, you are going to Rome. Do you know that God has given us a word? The Bible says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That word word is not the Greek word logos, which would refer to the written word or the Bible. It is the word rima, which means a, a spoken word of the Holy Spirit. In other words, it is a direct message from the Spirit of God to you about what God's going to accomplish, what God's going to do, how God's going to see you through. How God's going to make sure that his will is done here on earth as it is in heaven. Again, the voice of God comes out of our intimacy with God. And when we seek the face of God and God speaks into our lives, sometimes it doesn't make sense. Sometimes it may not add up. Sometimes it doesn't, you know, God, why are you, like, early on in the book of Acts, Lord, why are you sending us back to Jerusalem? Don't you remember? 40 days earlier, that's where they crucified you. Why would we go back to the scene of the crime? So, but they had a word from Jesus, and Paul had a word from God, and we get words from God. I believe one of the reasons we're not being more greatly used by God in our day and time is because we're not listening for the voice of God any longer. It's more like prayer time. Here's my laundry list, God. In Jesus' name, take care of it. Off I go. 
Or it's always while I'm driving, while I'm being distracted, while I'm on my phone, while I've got other things going on, a thousand other different things. Listen, if you want to hear the voice of God, as long as you're your, your ears are, are being inundated with all the noise and voices around you. It's going to be very difficult for that to happen. There has to be time in your life. And this was no secret with Jesus that he always began his day with prayer. He Midway in the day, he usually withdrew. He always ended his day with prayer. And when he really wanted to hear from God about like selecting his disciples, he spent all night in prayer. I'm simply saying that you've got to spend some time in intimacy alone, in quietness before the Lord. Be still and know that I am God and let God speak. Because when you need God to speak, I can assure you that the Spirit of God can speak the message of God. And when you have the message of God, you'll walk in the faith of God. If, I don't, if I'm not sure what the message is, then my faith is going to be fuzzy. I'm going to be all over the map. But if God says something to me and specifically to me, I know that my obedience to him is going to open up the door for God's provision, whatever that is. And so that's the way it is with Paul. And it's something we need to keep intact. We always need to be listening to the voice of God. Number three, we must trust in God's provisions. We've got to trust in God's provisions. And so um, and when you get to chapter 28, um, you can read uh, the rest of chapter 27. Uh, there's the shipwreck that takes place. And, uh, you know, the sailors, they're, they're, they're seeing land approaching. And they're, they're sending down, like, depth soundings trying to figure out how deep the water is. And it's 120 feet. And then it's getting more and more shallow. And they're fearful running across the rocks. And, and of course, you know, the ship finally does, um, you know, it's... it's it's not a good, good situation. And Paul, he, here's what Paul does. He says in verse 33, he urges everybody to eat. He says, for the last 14 days, you've been in constant suspense, and I've gone without food, and you haven't eaten anything. So he says, look, let's eat. There's 276 people on this ship. Let's eat. And then they throw you know, the food overboard. But as you know, uh, when daylight came, um, yeah, they come upon, and there's a shipwreck, and it's stuck on a sandbar. And you'll notice down in verse 41, the bow stuck fast and would not move, and the stern was broken to pieces by the pounding surf. And the soldiers planned to kill the prisoners, as they would, because if they escaped, guess what? According to Roman law, what, whatever punishment was for them, you get it, right? So they're, they're going to kill them all, but watch how God intervenes. The soldiers planned to kill the prisoners to prevent any of them from swimming away and escaping. But the centurion wanted to spare Paul's life and kept them from carrying out their plan. And he ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and, and get to land. And so here's, here's the provision part in chapter 28 and, and the first uh, 16 verses. I don't have time to read them all, but I do want to say, just kind of focus on verse 1. Once safely on shore, we found out that the island was called Malta. <laughs> Um, some of your translations, I like, and this one I like better, we were brought safely through. In other words, what Paul told them, hey, ship's going to get smashed. Nobody's going to lose their life. And so God made that provision. And if that weren't enough, when you start reading chapter 28, and, and let, there's islanders who show up and with unusual kindness, 
and they build a fire and they, they start feeding these guys and, and Paul's sitting there by the fire and there's a, you know, a venomous snake that grabs hold of his hand and they think, oh, well, uh, justice is about to be done. This must be a murderous man. So now, you know, it's kind of like karma is going to happen here in front of us. But they watch him and nothing happens to Paul and he shakes off the venomous snake and he doesn't die and he doesn't even get sick. And here's what they, here was their conclusion in verse um, 6. He was a god. No, Paul wasn't a god, but he was a man who walked with God. And as a result of that, God made provision. He spared his life. He gave them food. He, I mean, it just keeps getting better and better after that. It says down in verse 7, there was an estate nearby that belonged to Publius and the chief official of the island, he walks them then into their house and he entertains them with hospitality. His father's sick in bed and fever and Paul sees him and prays, places his hands on him, heals him. And they bring other sick. And, and God just continues to provide and provide and provide. Why? Because God does that for his servants. God does that for his servants. Now, God's provision may not always look like what you think it ought to look like. And it might be that you're in a time in your life in which you're wondering, where is God's provision? Because I've been waiting a long time, and I don't see it heading down the roadway. And there are some things that have happened in my life and transpired, and maybe in your life, where it's, your life just feels like it's been shipwrecked. I mean, it's just like one thing after another just keeps coming against you, and these are very personal things, and these are very hurtful things to you. What do I do while I'm waiting for God's provision, or how does God provide sometimes? Well, sometimes the way that God provides for us is learning how to lament. You remember the book of Psalms? Lamenting means I'm pouring out my pain and I'm pouring out my sorrow before the Lord. And sometimes the way God makes provision in our shipwrecked times of our lives is by the power of lamenting. Let me tell you what the lamenting will do for you. And I'm just going to wrap these off quick because I'm out of time. When you lament, you process the pain, right? Failing to process pain only prolongs your agony. And lamenting helps you work through your heartaches and as you ponder uh, what you're going through. And so your pain can propel you into growth. You have to feel so you can heal. But most of the times, rather than feeling, we want to suppress it. We want to shove it down. We don't want to talk about it. We don't want to let it out. We, we don't want to deal with it when we're walking through our own valley of the shadow of death. Number two, when you lament, you grieve your your involvement and shed your victim mindset. When you, when you are hurt and the evils and errors of others that overwhelm you, it's easy to overlook our own evils and errors, our own situation. God wants you to bring, wants to bring you into his perspective. We don't always understand God's perspective. Some things are held as a mystery, God says to us. But as we lament, as we are pouring out, as we are just, you know, uh, grieving before the Lord, God helps us to share this victim mentality so that we don't live our lives as victims because we're not victims. As we sang about this morning, we are victorious. Lamenting, number three, is you don't lash out in vengeance to others. If you're like me, you, you'd rather counterpunch by nature, Right? Somebody hits you, I'm going to hit you back. I'm just telling you. But retaliating either physically, verbally, 
via social media uh, is just returning evil for evil, insult for insult. Lamenting helps you work out with God and the energy and frustration that naturally comes from pain. Here's a statement I read and I think it's great. If you never heal from what hurt you, you will bleed on people who didn't even cut you. Because your vengeance just over, you, listen, you can't, if you're carrying around a bitter, unforgiving spirit towards person A, it never stays contained with person A. That bitterness, it spreads throughout your emotional system and it gets spread out all over everybody. And so you're bleeding on everybody who didn't even cut you. That's why you need to lament, you need to work through, you need to process the pain. All right, so number th- the last one, when you limit, you feel hope for the future. Failing to lament leaves you forever circling in your past, and you stay chained to the past, never escaping the toxicity that it brings into your life. And so you have to mourn. You have to let it out. You have to work your way through it. That is exactly what the book of Psalms is all about. Sometimes the provision is... What does God do? God brings supernatural healing, which is what he wants you to do. He wants you to walk in freedom, in the freedom that Jesus Christ came to secure for your, on your behalf. Mass shooting in another church, a synagogue, all right? 11 people, as last I heard, lost their lives. How do you get over that? How do you explain that? You can't. You can't explain that. I have no answers for that other than some evil person took it upon themselves to go and to take the lives of innocent people. But the families who now have to bury their loved ones and have to deal with the aftermath of all of this, now they have to lament. They have to journey through their valley of the shadow of death. And it can come out of one of two ways. They can either come out on the other side supernaturally healed by God, thus placing them in a position of a platform for ministry, or they can come out on the other side with their hearts so filled with anger and bitterness and resentment, they will be forever chained to that moment in time and never heal. And so God makes provision. Think about the Apostle Paul, how many times he was beaten, flogged, shipwrecked, I mean, left for dead, all the things that happened to him. But rather than coming out on the other side bitter, he came out on the other side even more enthusiastic about taking the gospel to Rome than ever before. Here's the last one, is you got to wrap our hearts around a single passion, and that passion is the gospel of Jesus Christ. When you read the latter part of chapter 28 in verses 17 and following, you're going to read... Several times. Here's what Paul did. He just kept taking the gospel. He just kept taking the gospel. He kept sharing the gospel with anyone who was listening. He's now in front of Caesar. It's time for him to give his side of the story. He just shares the gospel, shares the gospel, shares the gospel. Verse 28, therefore, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles and they will listen. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him boldly and without hindrance. He preached the kingdom of God and taught about the presence of Jesus Christ. That is what we cannot stop doing because the gospel of Jesus Christ is the power of God unto salvation to save and to heal and to deliver. Amen? Let's bow our heads.